0: Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Phil Kramer. Kramer hunts on Instagram. How you doing? I'm doing good. Jay, how about yourself? Good. I'm. Uh, I actually, believe it or not, just hit some golf balls today and was running late and thought, "Dang it, I'm going to miss miss being on time with Phil." And um, but it's good to have you on. I'm curious to chat with you. I haven't spoke with you in a while. Yeah, uh, I, I
1: appreciate being on. It's always good to catch up and see what each other's doing and
0: get into talking like we normally do. You know, it's it's been one of these things. I've been obviously up in Colorado this summer, um, but, you know, watching closely, watching the monsoons. And, you know, we had great winter moisture, everything going into spring. You know, we had good spring green up seems like the antlers across the board um, you know especially with the elk and the mule deer I think it's still probably a little early to tell on the coos but um, seems like every indication is phenomenal antler growth Um, but selfishly I guess I was really hoping that we would put a big monsoon on top of you know big being the pig that I am was hoping we'd put big monsoon on top of big uh, winter moisture and just see what we could do curious your thoughts on that I was
1: hoping for the same thing jay and it it just hasn't happened um it's It's definitely been a lackluster monsoon so far. um I'm still kind of holding out hope that maybe we'll get some good rains come in September. You know, I've seen that happen before um and that would kind of kick us off or carry us through the rest of the fall um, but boy, we were set up for to just have some phenomenal growth for the next year or two if we could have got those monsoons. Um, like we were hoping and and i've heard and seen in a few places that it's been some pretty decent rains but overall it just hasn't been widespread and um it's been dry uh, really dry for you know a monsoon season that we would normally get, be expecting quite a bit of rain
0: so hopefully it comes yeah, I, here a little late but maybe get some i figure what's going to happen although i don't see it in the forecast but i figure what's going to happen i believe uh, this Friday is our tree deer season. I believe the strip starts uh, this Friday as well. Um, and what usually happens is everybody's running their cameras and all excited, and then all of a sudden it dumps three inches of rain. Um, but really, the forecast, I don't see anything in the 10 in the day future, do you? I don't um there's down south in southern Arizona, they're
1: starting to call for a little bit of chance of rain late next week, um just about for the opener, but as far as up north um there's really in the extended forecast not much of a chance of rain. There's a couple days with some ten and fifteen percent chance, but unless something starts building, I don't see that happening, so I think the deer hunters might be good under water um what i What I probably think will happen is it'll come in and and really rain a lot and kind of disperse the elk for the rut but uh, it's always fun to guess and and see what's going to happen but you know that's one thing we just can't control we can't control that weather and we just got to do the best we can for it but i i kind of think the guys up up north on the strip are going to be good i don't think they're going to get that rain that they normally do right at the opener
0: Price slay some giants. If it stays dry, some big, big deer, I'll bet, are going to get killed. There's already been just a handful of phenomenal bucks the raffle tag bucks and governor's tag bucks. It's uh, really cool to see what Arizona can do um, when we get that good winter moisture. And um, some of these bucks coming off the strip are just just phenomenal. Um, We're going to talk today a lot about archery deer hunting, and I know you run a lot of cameras and such uh before we do that what are your elk plans um i believe you don't have a tag that a friend of yours does where where are you going to be or what's your plan for elk season
1: um for elk you're right I, I don't have a tag this year and and uh in my selfish way i'm really disappointed that i don't because you know like you were <laughs> saying there have already been a handful of bucks and bulls that are right. showing just what a phenomenal antler growth year it is. But um, elk elk plans I have pretty open right now. I've got a couple buddies that have early tags, um, one up in 23 and then uh, a couple in 10. Um, I've got a couple friends with rifle antelope tags that I've committed to help with in 10, so I'm, I'll probably stay there um, for the archery elk and see what happens. And then I've got a, a real close friend with... Uh, early rifle tag um, in 23 that I, I might sneak over and try and help him out with. But um, that's about it for elk. Uh, kind of slow on, on my plans this year, and I
0: picked a bad year to be slow. <laughs> so. Yeah, for sure. So, is that I know you focus pretty heavy on deer in Arizona as well without having much going on specifically related to yourself for elk. Has that allowed you to do any more? Um reconnaissance, so to speak, for your deer, um, or pretty much the same that you always do.
1: It's allowed me to spend more time. Um, you know, I'm not running up north near as much. Uh, you know, normally when I've got a, a friend or myself with a tag, I'm up there every other weekend and and this year without having a tag or any firm commitments. Um, I've, I've spent a lot more time focusing on deer, and what has really allowed me to do more than anything is get back into some country that I haven't been to in uh, a number of years, um, kind of expand out from my normal go-to spots, and, and add some more uh, cameras in places that I've always thought about, saying, man, I'd really be nice to see what's used in that country, and but that's allowed me to do that this year, which has been really fun. I've um, had some really good trips already, you know, getting out and scouting, and the countryside so green and everything coming through such a good winter moisture year and then we had some really good spring rains all the way into May that uh, you know the wildlife's just loving it so it's been really enjoyable um, having that extra time to kind of focus in on on a lot of areas I've just put off um, because I didn't have enough time to get into them so it's been a lot of fun.
0: When you talk about some of those areas you know, let's call them fringe areas or areas that you know you've been wanting to get into but just from a time perspective haven't been able to. Walk us through a little bit of your strategy of, you know, looking at some of that country and trying to figure how you're going to attack it. I'm just curious, you know, from a camera perspective and from, you know, a glassing perspective, you know, are you are you trying to pick spots that you can look into or are you mainly just trying to find a deer and then figure out how to hunt them after that? So talk a little bit of your strategy with those new areas you bet
1: um you know first off a lot of these areas are areas that i've seen on other hunts or passing through and i kind of make mental notes of them and then i spend a lot of time on google earth and on x maps going through and really looking at the terrain and trying to find access points um given that i do a lot of my scouting in the summer i try and find areas that I can get the side-by-side or truck as close to as possible and then access by foot. But I'm really looking for water sources, for saddles, um, for just the lay of the land as far as cover and then getting into open areas where I know those deer are going to get up and feed and then going from there and trying to pinpoint areas that I'd like to go try and glass from and, and try and get different vantage points, not just for... You know the early archery season but also trying to put that information i gather in my memory bank for later on in the year um, during the rifle hunts and then once i've kind of got those areas in mind then i really start focusing on areas i want to go look at put boots on the ground and try and find travel routes from water to bedding from you know bedding to feeding and stuff like that and then i'll just go put boots on the ground hike them out, look for sign, try and find the areas that I think would be a natural pinch point or a natural travel way, and then a lot of times I'll go ahead and establish a salt lick um, in that area, or I'll just put a camera up, uh, especially if it's on an area headed to water, and uh, after that, I just kind of let the cameras do my legwork, and a lot of my trips from the early summer on into the early fall are spent just tending the cameras at that point. And once I've got a fairly decent uh, inventory, then I'll go in and actually put glass on them and try and look
0: them up and get a pattern on something that I want to hunt. When you talk about establishing and starting salts, what is your strategy as far as, you know, obviously some of these areas are way in there. You know, how much salt do you carry in? What do you like, and, like, how do you initially establish, you know, a spot, um, you know, once you kind of figure it out? I mean, you're not carrying a 50-pound sack of salt, are you? I am. (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's really good training. (laughs) (laughs) uh, I guess so.
1: But, you know, actually I am, but a lot of times what I'll do is I'll leave the salt um, in that side-by-side or truck until... I've actually put boots on the ground and, and put on my GPS or the Onyx map of where I want that lick, and then I'll go back in with the salt. And uh, I really prefer to use uh, crystallized salt. Um, a lot of times I just use 100% pure sodium for pool salt. I'll also use uh, water softener salt at times as well, and either one works equally good. But the reason why I use the crystals versus a block or versus pellets is it leaches into the ground so much faster. And typically, if you can get it out, get it established before the monsoons come, then when the monsoons hit, then it just leaches that much faster. And it's, it allows the deer to actually come in and utilize that mineral lick um, a lot quicker than if you were just to throw a block of salt out or a mineral block. And once I've established that area, then I'll go ahead and throw up, you know, a 40, 50-pound bag of salt on my back Typically, I will carry in one to two gallons of water, and I carry a, a little tool called a fin hoe. Um, basically, it's just something to disturb the surface of the ground and break it up almost like you would till in a garden. And then I'll dump that salt right onto it, pour the water on, and then I'll mix it right in with the dirt. And normally, if you have that in an area where they're traveling to or from water, or bedding or feeding area, I've had deer find it within a day or two days and actually start to utilize it. Um, the longer it sits, the longer it leaches, the better it gets, but normally when I first do a lick, for the first time I'll actually take two different trips in carrying salt and I'll normally put 40 to 80 pounds um, of salt in it that first year that I establish a lick, and after that, then it's normally about 20 to 30 pounds a year, depending on this type of soil that it's in, um, and that keeps it going, and the deer will use it year after year. It's amazing to me, once they become accustomed to it being there, how they seem to show up. I mean, I've walked in on licks before, like for the first time, um, freshening it up that have, uh, you know they've been established for a number of years and I'll jump deer off of them as early as June and it, it's just they've become accustomed to that mineral source and once they get going on it that they seem to use it pretty good
0: so rather than just go and dump the salt not pour water and not till the ground will that work as well or just not as fast and not as efficient if you just go and literally dump the sack on the ground and then just leave it It'll work, um, but I'm
1: trying to get the biggest bang for my buck, and if I've put in the work to find an area where I want to put a lick and have decided to go ahead and do it and put the cameras out, I want to try and get the results as fast as I can. I want to see what's in that area and see what the potential is, and then try and decide if it's something I want to keep doing year after year, if I want to abandon and look for another spot. Um, You know, you can put it right on the ground without tilling it, without pouring water on it, but a lot of times what will happen is that salt just sits there and you're really not getting any benefit from it. The majority of the time the deer will come in and, and use the lick, but they're not actually putting their mouth right on the salt. They're not licking the salt per se. They're actually chewing and tilling up the, the soil that where the salt's leached into it. So that's the reason why I do that is try and get that established and going as quickly as possible. So That way I get pictures, you know. I mean, that's what it's all about, It's trying to figure out what the potential is
0: in the area. Yeah, and you talk about uh, lots of cases where deer find it within days. The reason you know that is because you slap a camera up and you're like, oh, a day and a half later there's deer already on it. Yep,
1: yep, 100%.
0: Do you you feel like, you know, if if you had to take the number of salts that you've started and that you have going all over the state um, for deer, you know, is there one particular characteristic as far as most all of them are in a saddle, or most all of them are on a north facing slope, or more You know, is there one particular thing that you would say is a pretty common theme? There, there's, there's not really.
1: Um, I would say the only common theme that I've found on my most used or most successful mineral sites or salt licks are they have to be in an area that the deer feel comfortable in. I've tried to do them, you know, in a wide open saddle, and I've had deer use them, but they don't spend any time. They might come in and spend less than a minute, and they're on their way again, whereas if it's an area that's got some cover around it, and the deer feel comfortable, and it's natural for them to be there and spend some time there, then I've had deer stay in there for 30, 40 minutes, and I've had them come back, you know, 9, 10 times in one twenty-four 24-hour period to that one spot. So I think that's the biggest thing is, one, the deer have to be in the area, and two, they have to it has to be in an area that the deer feel comfortable in. Um, back when I first started running cameras, I mean, making my own home brews and everything and starting salt licks, I was just putting in an area where I saw deer or where I wanted the deer to be, and then I, I kind of started figuring out, you actually have to put it in areas that they feel comfortable spending the time. And I have licks to this day that when I was first getting going that I'm still using, that I really couldn't even hunt over. I mean, you know, i looked look around, I'm like, man, if a guy wanted to hunt here, you couldn't even hunt here. You'd have to get back away and hope and catch them to and from. So now I really pay attention that if I'm going to spend the time to put the lick and put the cameras up, it's got to be in an area that if it preys off, that I might want to hunt and that I can hunt and that there's an area to set up a blind or a tree stand or get back and glass into. So as I've kind of progressed with this, I've learned a lot of different things to look at, and and those are some of the key ones that I've found. Um, There's two different spots as far as topography goes that I've had more luck than any other, and one's a saddle, but the saddle has to have enough cover in it that they feel comfortable enough to spend some time, and then the other's in uh, draw bottoms, in the bottom of, you know, draws or canyons, and almost all of those are in areas that have decent oaks or uh, big enough mesquites where kind of gives some cover to the deer. And they've all been in travel ways going to or from water on those bottoms of the draws. And uh, I found that those two areas, as far as you know the landscape work, uh, have been really good, and I've had a lot of success with them.
0: Do you put them in any relation to water, meaning when you're trying to pick your areas, are you trying to put them as close to water source as well? Are you trying to put them as far as you can from water source? How you know how does water play into you picking a, a, a site for putting your salt licks?
1: Water is a pretty big factor, um, mainly because the times that the licks are the most active, at least for the bucks, are when they're growing their antlers. When they're still in velvet, from the time they drop their antlers until the time right before they shed their velvet is when the bucks are usually hitting the salt the most and they're the most frequent and as we know in arizona especially during that time it's dry and it's hot and for those licks to be successful they have to be in a fairly close you know proximity to water Um, i have some that i know the closest water source is probably a mile away mile and a half Um, but those licks don't get hit near as hard and as frequent as the ones that I have that are within a half a mile of water, I, I try and never put it. I would say under a half a mile. So I have a couple that might be in between a quarter to a half. But I found if you put it too close to water, the deer, the deer just they don't seem comfortable when they're at the lick. They're always on edge. They're always on guard, and they just don't spend the time there that I want them to spend to get all the different angles and feel like they're really comfortable using that lick. And then the other thing is, the closer you're to water, the more chance that you're going to have livestock come in. And there's nothing worse than, you know, taking the time to set up a lick and coming in and having 3,000 pictures of cattle to go through on your lick. So um, those are kind of my rules of thumb as far as the water is
0: concerned. What are you noticing in your observation of these licks as far as, you know, peak, if you had to say peak months, I mean, you already talked a little bit about it, but you know, throughout the year, are there several different time frames where they're just absolutely pounding it and then other time frames where it's, you know, very, very non-existent or random? In other words, my question is trying to establish if there's periods of time when it's not any good and then periods of time when it's really, really good for for getting so, pictures.
1: No, I, I understand for sure. And, and what I've noticed, I've I've got a number of areas that I've, I've kind of tested this out on um, where I've just left cameras up all year and I've gone in and made sure the lick was fresh and everything. And from about October through, I would say, maybe May, um, there's just been very little activity on the licks. Um, The does will come by and use it every once in a while. The bucks might come by and sniff, but as far as actually you know, consuming the mineral or the nutrients that the grounds leached out, the salts leached into the ground, it's just non-existent. I mean, the deer really don't have any draw to it or seem to have any attraction to it. Now, starting about May, the end of May, beginning of June, uh, normally in correlation when the antlers are dropping uh, is when the activity really picks up. And normally June, July, um, before the monsoons come, I'll have a lot of pictures of uh, a lot of does, pregnant does, um, and some bucks just starting to grow. The bigger bucks seem to start hitting the lick first, and then as the months usually when the monsoons pick up, that activity on the lick picks up, and I think that's mainly due to the fact that the it's leaching the, the salt into the ground at more, and also there, there's more moisture in the feed, there's more moisture on the ground, so they're not having to rely on the water near as much, and I think that in correlation to the time that they're really putting on the most growth in the antlers as well as that's the time that the the does are starting to drop their fawns and i've noticed when a doe a lactating doe she will stay almost all day at a lick i mean she just pounds it and pounds it and pounds it and pounds it and once that fawn gets big enough where she's not nursing anymore then they kind of quit and lose interest in it that's also you know, around that October time when all the bucks are stripped, they're, you know, they're not growing anymore, the does really aren't nursing as much, and that's about the time that all my licks really go dormant, um, I just, it's not even worth it for me to tend the cameras the majority of the time, I'll go ahead and pull them, um, usually around that first general hunt,
0: uh, and then I won't put them back up until the summer, so. I know you found some really big deer um, on your salts, and I know some of those deer have been shot by, by friends of yours, by you, and by people you don't even know. Talk a little bit about that relationship when you start finding a big buck, you know, and then watching him for several years, and then all of a sudden he shows up, you know, he on Facebook or Instagram or who's Whitetail or somewhere he's dead. Just talk about that somewhat. Uh,
1: it can be so rewarding, and it can be so frustrating all at the same time. Um, but you know, it's the game we play. I'm I'm doing all of this on public land, um, you know. So even though I consider them my bucks because I've got all of these pictures of them and all of this video, and you almost develop a relationship with them. The fact of the matter is, it's public land, and and people, you know, they're people are better hunters now. They have better optics. They have better guns. They have, you know, better bows. And they're spending more time out there from what i've seen and coos deer hunting's become more popular and it, it's it's definitely grown um in numbers and it's hard um i'm not going to lie you know I've, I've had several bucks in the 130s um into the 120s that i've watched and i've even passed up or i've had opportunities at and watched them go from you know a young buck to you know just blow up to a giant in three or four years and but it's part of the chase, and it's part of what I enjoy doing and you know it's 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 one of those things that it hurts, <laughs> but you mm-hmm. you suck it up and you go find another one if you can um what it has done it it's kind of made me look at different areas and and really kind of pay attention to uh some of the harder to reach areas i you know I still run cameras I still run licks in a lot of the areas that you know people know about um and and a lot of my friends, they ask me, they're like, well, why are you even so bothering it's Like, the genetics are there, the deer are there, and it's fun to see what's going on. And it's just one of those things that if it works out and there's a big buck there, then I just got to hope I kill him or one of my buddies does before Joe Hunter finds him. And that's, like I said, that's just part of the game. And it's kind of also really inspired me to get back into some of these other areas I haven't been into in a long time. And, and see what's there, and see what the, you know the potential is, and, and maybe limit my competition.
0: So, I know um, I've heard a lot of guys talk about right about the time that opening, you know, kind of the opening weekend of archery season starts. You know that all of July and early part of August, they've just you know been consistent bucks. Just I mean, just real consistent. And then they, a lot of guys will say they'll just completely shut off. What do you attribute that to? I've, well, I've seen the same thing. Before you saying. answer that, I was going to ask you, do you have you seen the same thing? And that, that, that's, that's what I should have prefaced it with.
1: For sure, and I have. I've, I've seen it time and time again. Um, and it's twofold, at least my opinion of it. the reason is twofold. and The first is the big bucks um, right around that first ta- first you know, opening of deer season, their antlers are for the most part, at least you hope, are pretty much done growing and they might add another inch or two, but I don't think their body's craving the salt. I don't think their body's craving that mineral because they've already put all of their energy and effort into growing those antlers and they might still be in velvet, but for the most part the growing's done. And once that happens I as I've found with my cameras, they just quit. Coming to the salt, they might come by every once in a while and, and get another taste, just because they know it's there and they've become accustomed to it. Um, but it, it just really, really slows down. The other thing that I believe it contributes to is, let's face it, uh, they go from maybe hearing one truck or seeing one, one or two people every couple weeks to, you know, a hundred people in the woods and trucks going up and down the road and side by side banging around and they might not attribute it right away to danger but they attribute it to a disturbance and they change your pattern and they're not going to go where they feel vulnerable I've, I've really noticed that a lot of these bucks especially the older ones they come in and then they might put their head down just like they would at a water hole they put their head down and grab a quick bite of dirt and then they pick their head up they're looking and they're listening and as they're chewing you know it deadens their sense of hearing and everything else and i think it makes them on edge, and when you add that additional people in the woods, they know it, and they just really slow down on their movement is what I believe.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's it's one of those things that you just hear about every year, how consistent deer and bucks are, and then all of a sudden, you know. But I think the hunter going in there, checking his camera, you know, walking in, walking out, um, talk a little bit about when you, you know you have to kind of pick your travel in travel out route effectively or else you're in essence going to have great buck pictures and then you're going to spook all the bucks going into the spot if you're going to hunt 100 um and you know I've, over the years i've, I've
1: i don't want to say you know taken but I've, I've had friends and family go with me um, even just doing trail cameras and, and you know, they they want to look around. They're like, hey, don't you think that buck dropped his, his horns down in there or his antlers down in there? Maybe we can find a shed. And I'm like, very well could be, but I'm not going to go in there right now. They're like, well, why not? I said, because I want them to be as natural and as comfortable as I can. So I go in the exact same way, and I come out the exact same way every time. And even if I'm hunting that lick i will do the same thing when i go in to set up the blind i go in the same way and i come out the same way and then i'll do it every day that i'm sitting that blind because you know up and down you know your route and i I actually believe they get accustomed to your route too you know i've got some of these deer that i've had on camera for six seven years so you know i almost think they're probably sitting over there thinking man He's going to bring some more salt. Good, you know. Um, <laughs> but I do. I, I think it's huge. I think if you spend too much time wandering around, you, you stand a chance on blowing them out. And they'll come back, but they're not going to come back as comfortable as they would be if you would just go in and out the same way every time. Because you've already done it. You might jump a deer or two here or there, but you know what you're jumping. And once you establish that travel route, then they kind of establish theirs, too. And I think they really stay away if you uh, go in there and booger them up. And that's one thing, you know, that I've really, really got myself disciplined to and got anyone that goes with me disciplined to as well.
0: So we've been primarily talking about coos deer. Um, in some of your spots that you run these licks, I mean, do all of a sudden – you know mountain mule deer bucks show up and you're like what the heck are you doing
1: i've had i've had several yes uh in areas where you know they're on the fringe um kind of up getting up in elevations and then i'll be going through pictures and you know you'll catch a glimpse of a rack and man your heart just starts thumping and then you get it look a little closer and you're like that's a muley what the heck's he doing there you know (laughs) you kind of scratch your head like what the heck happened where'd he come from and i actually had one for three years show up fairly regular um and he would be right there at the lick next to whitetail bucks you know coos deer and um then i think last last year or year before was the last year i saw him and he i don't know if he got killed or something but yeah i have definitely had it and uh you know, I think these tactics that I'm talking about for the Cooster would be the hold true or the same for muleys as well. Um, but they've just, you know, they've shown the similar traits and similar habits. But um, I don't get a lot of them, but I, I definitely get a few. And it's kind of always fun.
0: Like I said, it gets your heart running for a minute until you figure out it's a muley. Yeah. Do you, when you're establishing these licks, do you typically try and put the you know, exact placement in the afternoon shade or morning shade, or is there any, like, you know, if, if you had to pick the best spot, would there be a characteristic like that that you would always do the same?
1: There, there's two things I do now,
0: um, you know, kind of after
1: after I've been doing this for a while. Like I said, when I first started doing it, I was doing it just for a camera, you know, opportunity of getting pictures of deer, And later on, I've kind of, you know, turned it into an inventory as well as a spot to hunt on these early seasons. And there's two things that I always do now before I'll ever even think about putting a lick on the ground is one is camera placement. I look for that because there's nothing worse than getting a great lick established and then having your camera basically useless for three or four hours out of the day when the sun's coming up or going down. And then the other thing I'm looking for now is a place to put a blind or a tree stand if that lick does produce the results that I'm after. Um, I have I I can think of three right off the top of my head that year after year have been some of the best producing licks as far as quality of deer that are absolutely horrible to hunt i mean there's just not a shade tree around to cover your blind and it i mean they're just miserable um so i've kind of learned that you know by trial and error and actually paying attention to what i'm doing as far as the deer activity to the lick i i have seen no correlation to you know if it's in shade in this in the afternoon or morning or which way you know the trees are or anything it's i pay attention more to what It's going to give me a good camera
0: picture, and then what would be an opportunity to hunt it if it produces the deer I want. As far as time frame, uh, especially when they're growing their antlers, let's say, you know, July, um, is there a time, you know, a specific time that you would say overall that you get the most pictures at licks? I I do, and typically it's from about
1: the 1st of August through the 20th of August, um there's usually not a day that goes by that there's not deer just camped out on it um it, it's funny i've gone back over you know years of look trying to establish a pattern of a particular buck and a lot of times year after year they'll come in on the same days um i've got one buck that you know july 7th is his day uh he'll also be there on august 20th i can almost guarantee you i'll get him seven or eight times on the 20th of August this year. Uh, It just seems to be that time frame that that buck really likes it. Really, I don't know if that's where he's at in his antler growth or his diet, but it it really happens. But as far as a time frame overall, like I said, almost year after year after year you can set your clock to it that around the 1st of August through around the 20th of August, my licks are the most
0: active they are at any other time during the year. And then what about time of day? Have you noticed a a big correlation in the majority of your hits on camera on a certain time of day?
1: I haven't, Jay. Um, It's funny. It's unlike anything I've ever done as far as a hunting situation, as far as setting water or anything like that, because it seems to be that it's almost completely random. I, I mean, I have deer you know, showing up all throughout the night. Then they'll show up at 6 o'clock in the morning and then 10 and noon and again at 4 in the afternoon and then show up at 6 or 7 that evening and then hit it again at 1 o'clock in the morning. So um, I think it all depends on more their surroundings than it does on them actually coming to the lick. I think if there's water nearby or water on the ground, say, from the rain, water on the feed, I think they're more apt to stay closer to that lick and hit it three or six times a day. Um, they'll do that especially, I've noticed, especially when right before they're done growing. I mean, I've, I've had them camp out on it. Uh, and that's when, you know, going through the pictures, you can really see the most growth is that time frame. And I think that their bodies are just craving it and they know it and they stay there and
0: use it. So I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast and remind you guys, the listeners, that because of the sponsors, it allows me to put as much time as I do into the podcast. And I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for your loyal support of this podcast. Uh, we're dang near 600 episodes, and I, I don't know how many hours that equates to, but an amazing amount of hours, and I've had some unreal guests. So just thank for all of the support that I get. From the listeners, and I hear from the sponsors almost every week, if not multiple times a week, uh, about you guys supporting them. I want to thank GoHunt.com in two ways. The Insider right now has a free trial period going on, so you can be a GoHunt Insider member for 30 days. You can go on, you can check out all the strategy articles in all the different states. You can compare strategy articles from year after year, you can go look at harvest data. Uh, draw odds so when you're applying for these western states uh, Go Insider is the best resource out there all you got to do to get that 30-day free trial is go to gohunt.com uh, forward slash jscott and that's just follow the prompts it's going to get you that 30-day free trial i also want to thank gohunt gear shop my friend cody nelson 20 20 plus years i've been friends with cody uh, and he's the optics manager over there at the gear shop and Cody handles everything to do with optics, so anything to do with glassing questions, tripod questions, uh, any purchasing of optics, rifle scopes, spotting scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing. Cody's the man. I call him the glassing guru. Uh, If you would like to purchase any optics, call 702-847-8747. That's extension 2, and you'll be directly uh, put in touch with Cody. You can also send Cody an email at optics at gohunt.com. I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. Also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Uh, Phil, I know you love Kuyu as well. Uh, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, uh, K-U-I-U.com uh brendan burns and the guys over at kuyu just do a phenomenal job uh with the gear and uh all the gear that i wear you see on my instagram uh, is kuyu gear and i just did two doll sheep hunts uh and where i noticed that you really need good gear is on the the hunts where uh the weather is the most extreme so if you if you haven't heard about kuyu um, I would say get out from the rock that you've been crawl, crawled under. But uh, if you want to learn more, go to KUIU.com. And I also want to thank PhoneScope. Uh, if you use the J. Scott 19 promo code, uh, you're going to get a 10% discount there at PhoneScope.com. That's what I use to digiscope uh, video and take photos of animals through my spotting scopes and my binoculars uh, with my iPhone ten. Uh, use the J. Scott 19 promo code, you get a 10% discount. And then Onyx Maps, you heard Phil talk about using Onyx Maps. If you use the J. Scott 19 promo code, you're going to get 20% discount there at Onyx Maps. So uh, Phil, back to what we were talking about, um, you know, you, you've mentioned you'd like to set up a salt and make sure you have a good camera place, place or placement. Let's talk about it. I know we've had some great discussions on your Mexico coos deer camera placement, but let's talk about some of these uh, salt licks that you established and placement of camera, angle of camera, all of that. Um, you know, When you're looking at a new site, what you have in the back of your mind uh, as far as you know height off the ground, angle of attack, all of that different stuff. You
1: bet. You bet, Jay.
0: One thing that I really like about
1: salt is you're focusing on a small area. It's not like a water source or a trail that you're you're trying to capture or cover a large area. The, the deer's already coming to that salt, right? So you know that's where they're going to be, and you have the ability then to really focus in and get the pictures that you need to be able to accurately judge that animal, and and that's one of the best things about salt there is, in my opinion. So what I've really tried to focus on is, number one, the sun, um, you know, where the sun's coming up, where it's going down, and making sure I have a good north or south direction that the camera will be facing to get that salt. The other thing that I'm looking for is a nice tree to put the camera in that's preferably within 10 or 15 feet of the salt. I found if you go closer than that, you get a lot of blurred out pictures of them actually too close to the camera. I have some licks that are like that just because at the time I, I didn't know what I was doing near as much and, you know, trial by error. So I'm looking for that tree, that ideal tree that's facing either north or south, that's 10 to 15 feet away from the lick if possible. The other thing I'm trying to do is look at the background of what the picture is going to be in, or in the background of the picture because I don't want... a Bunch of trees or grass or something immediately behind that salt that's going to trigger my camera all day, and I got to go through a bunch of false pictures. Now with the technology, of the cameras getting better, you the chance of that happening is a lot less. But it still does happen, especially if that background's in an area where you're going to be getting morning or afternoon sun, really heating up those trees or the the grass. Then you're going to get a lot more false pictures. So you try and limit that down to where. That background, I call it the background noise, is far enough away from your salt that it's not going to be triggering your camera. And usually, this time of year with the sun and everything the way it is, as long as it's 20, you know, 10 to 20 yards behind your salt, you're normally not going to have a bunch of interference with that. The other thing, if I can, on the salt and still have my camera in a good position, is I'd like to get that camera around three or four foot off the ground. And what that does it allows you at 10 or 15 feet to be able to cover both the bottom, the ground, where that deer will be getting bites of the ground, as well as his head level where he's just in a natural position. So that way you're going to get all of the angles, basically from a low angle looking down on it and then from a higher angle looking up with that camera around three or four feet. I've played around with this quite a bit where I'll put, In uh, in a number of situations, I'll put two different cameras on the same salt, and I'll put one up higher in a tree, angling down, and then I'll put the other at three or four feet. And I found I get a lot more consistent results and better angles at looking at the antlers and trying to judge them from that three or four foot height level pointed at the salt. Um, It just seemed to be a lot better results and more consistent results at even as good as the technology is becoming, you, it still amazes me that I'll put two cameras on the same lick and I'll have different pictures between the two cameras. And it, it just blows me away every time. But I've found that three to four foot range height-wise is just about perfect at that distance. If you have to spread it out, if in other words, if there's not a tree that close to your target area, I've found the higher you get up with the angle going down, the better results you'll get. Whereas if you get too far away and you try and keep it at three or four foot range height-wise, you end up with a lot of false pictures and not near as good of trigger activity when that deer is at the salt. And I think that's just because you introduce too much background noise into the picture and the sensor of the camera. So those are a couple of the things that I really look for on my camera placement, Jay.
0: Let's talk about the cameras themselves and also the settings of the camera and what you found worked best. The
1: um, settings really are dependent upon the location of where I'm at and what's in the area. But usually, when I'll go in and set the cameras up in May or June, I'm I know that I'm probably not going to be frequenting them that often. I probably won't be back for another month, so I want to conserve as big a card as we could get nowadays. It's not as important, but I want to try and conserve as much of the card as I can. So a lot of times, I'll go with the three three. Uh, picture burst in a one minute setting even to a five minute delay setting, all dependent upon the area if it 's an area where I think i'm going to get some false ground or false background pictures or if there's livestock i'll bump that delay up even higher and might increase the burst to a six to an eight um, I almost always run the burst i I think that if you if it 's taking a picture of a target animal that burst has a lot better opportunity to give you different angles and really evaluate or judge that animal versus one picture and you're done. Um, that's just kind of my preference, and that's what I've found works the best for me. The other thing that I'll do is normally in that first you know May to June area, there's not a lot of ground uh, growth the grass hasn't got up there it's, it's left over from the winter or the spring and you haven't got those summer grasses so I'm, i don't worry a whole lot about clearing it but when i go in later in the year july august september i always carry a machete with me and then that way i can knock down that grass that's grown up so it doesn't interfere with the picture and or false triggers as it gets closer to go time i call it uh, closer to that early archery opener i'll increase the either photo burst and or decrease the delay because it, it's becoming more critical to get more pictures of an animal that I might be interested in for evaluation. Okay, is he done growing? Is Do I think he's 50% done growing? Does he have the genetics and the look that I'm after? Is he going to be a hit list buck or does he need three or four more years if he can make it? Um, so I really want as many pictures of that deer as possible. Uh, and then when Typically what I'll do is I'll I'll go in and I'll check everything normally about two weeks before the hunt, um, and then I'll go in the day before the hunt and try and do a big camera sweep. I'll put then all of the delay down to 30 seconds and normally leave it between a three and eight camera burst. Um, Right now I'm having my best luck with brownings. I've been a fan of brownings for quite a while now, but I've really been playing with some of the higher end brownings. to supplement, you know, my camera lineup and really focus those sets on areas that I have a target buck or a potential hit list buck and playing with different nighttime videos or nighttime pictures and trying to get the best quality that I can out of them. And, uh, Browning's been my go-to now for a couple years and they just keep treating me well and their customer service is great and I'm really excited with a couple of the cameras that they made improvements to in 2019. Um, one being their 4K model, it's taking just phenomenal video. It does pretty good with night. Um, it's not my favorite nighttime camera, but it's close. Uh, the, I think it's the Recon Force, the new model in 2019. Mm-hmm. It, it's taking unbelievable night video. And then I've been playing with their new camera, their uh, Commander series. Um, it's actually Bluetooth-enabled and it's still legal in Arizona because it can't send a picture um, you know, via cell phone or anything like that, but when you go in to check your camera, you actually don't even have to walk all the way up to it. You can actually stand back, turn your Bluetooth on, connect to it, and download or view the pictures right on your phone and then erase the card or save them or whatever you want to do and walk away, and then that way you don't even have to go up and your scent doesn't even have to be on it. So I've really been enjoying that camera. Um, uh, line cool. of sight is, is really critical to try and stay back. I've been pulling, uh, pictures off of it as far as 60 yards, um, away wow. from the camera. Yeah. And I mean, I mean pretty
0: that's fast, straight line of sight.
1: It, it's not bad yeah. at all. There's a slight delay. Um, but you know, a lot of times you'll plug a SD card in a reader or a computer and it takes a while to load each image if you have a, a bunch of images. Yeah. It's not any slower than that um okay. it, it's i've really been impressed with it oh. okay, i'm cool. looking Good forward stuff. to using that too down in uh mexico because i can you know if you're set in a tank of water you don't even have to go to your camera at the tank you know you just go get in your blind and you can sit there and then look at the pictures while you're in the blind and never even walk over to that camera so
0: i'm i'm really excited for that's use down there yeah, just to take a little bunny trail here for a second. Um, you talk about running salts and stuff in Arizona, but the bunch of the podcasts that I've done with you about your Mexico stuff, I don't hear you doing the salts. Is that mainly because of the timing of of when you're actually getting the photos, you know, not until, you know, November, December are you putting cameras up?
1: No, it's really not a timing issue, Jay. It's a more of a cattle issue. You know, we hunt cattle ranches um, down there, and they're putting salt out and, for their cattle, and the, so the deer are getting the benefit of the salt. But the other thing is it's just we would almost have to fence in our salt licks to keep the yeah. cattle off of them. And it's just not worth it for us, per se, to, to spend that extra time and energy to do that. Um, when we're getting, you know, phenomenal results on water. Now, I've played with it quite a bit down there with different things as far as salt, as far as mock scrapes and, and things like that, and the deer are no different. The The timing would be right now when they're growing their antlers, um, when you get the most pictures. We've got certain areas where, you know, the ranchers will run at, uh, cameras and stuff, and, and the deer are hitting the salt licks, but so are, you know, 5,000 cattle too. Right.
0: Um, in that scenario where you know, you're going to have cattle pounding, um, but you've got a big buck, what would you recommend, you know, running your settings that to just try and capture a couple images? I mean, even if you know that there's, you know, 150 head in that pasture and they're going to be there every day, like what, what would be, what would be some of the things that you would do just to try and capture that deer photo? So for the most
1: part, cattle hit the licks during the day. Um, You know, every once in a while they'll come in at night, but it's not near as frequent. So usually what will happen is in that situation is the buck that I'm after will sneak in it, you know, in the dark. So a lot of times I'll run that camera to uh, nighttime only pictures. Um, You're taking a chance on not, you know, getting a photo of him if he comes in or sneaks in during the day, but you're also limiting your exposure to is sifting through a ton of cattle pictures. Normally what I'll do in a situation like that is I'll, I'll put two cameras on the same lick, and I'll put one for just running nighttime only. Um, that way the chance of the cattle is a lot less, and then I'll put the other one. Normally I'll do one, uh, one picture, not a photo burst, just one picture with a one-minute delay. And you still might miss something, but normally if a deer's coming in, he'll be there for at least a minute in that situation. So you might have 500 cattle pictures and one deer picture, but you still got the one picture. Um, Very rarely, if there's cattle in the area, will I bump the burst up more than three, and very rarely will I have it on a delay less than five minutes unless I have two cameras.
0: Okay. I know we've covered it before, too, in our other um, podcasts, but maybe someone's listening to this episode for the first time Um, talk about your positioning and this applies for deer this applies for elk any animal coming into a camera as far as a you know perpendicular angle down the line coming to and fro like what you know a quartering angle what is what is your angle and not necessarily speaking about salt just what's your go-to angle and, do you, you know, do you set perpendicular to a trail or do you set down the line on a trail so you get them, you know, coming and going? How, how do you do that and why? Well, I, I've played around with it a little bit.
1: Um, I've had more missed pictures by animals coming straight in and straight away from a camera. Um, time and time and time again, I've actually watched animals come in and leave going pretty much straight, I mean... Perfect line with the camera, and I'm thinking I've got great picture of this animal. And I go up there, and the camera didn't take one picture. Now, as the technology is getting better, I think the sensors are getting better, where that's becoming less and less frequent. However, if I have the option, and normally this is on water or a trail, I try and set that camera where it's picking up a little bit down trail, but more perpendicular than parallel or straight away. And the reason being is exactly what I just said. I have missed more animals when they come in and leave straight on from the camera. Um, If you can catch, the problem with the trail is a lot of times if you put it perpendicular, by the time you get that first picture, the next picture is his butt walking away. Um, You know, it, it doesn't have enough area. And in a situation like that, you want to back the camera away from the trail further so it gives you more of a 180 type of view for your sensor and start triggering that camera as he comes into view and then leaves a view. But if possible, I always try and get that side-on view, and you know maybe even if you set it at a 45, that way you have more chance of getting him as he's walking. But it's not the head-on and walk away from him. Um, that that's just I've missed more animals that way than I care to even think about.
0: But would you also agree that the perfect perpendicular where they're like on a trail and just going to walk right by? A lot of times, you just it triggers, but by the time they walk by, you basically don't even get their antlers. You have to have it at some sort of an angle, right? Correct. And if
1: you don't, that's what I was saying. You have to back the camera further away from the trail. That way, it's, okay. it's basically picking up more of a 180 view. So in other words, as it comes in, say, from left to right, when it first starts coming in to the, the sensor picture on the left, you're far enough away that even at a fairly steady walk by the time it gets directly in front of the camera you're getting a picture whereas if you're you know four five six feet from the trail perfect perpendicular you're likely going to get tails and hooves and you're never going to get to see the antlers so you you do have to keep that in mind or like you said then you do have to back
0: up and put it in an angle you had said before too that that you were messing with some camera that has like a field scan mode where it's kind of taking a big wide angle did you ever have any success with that or what's your conclusion with that camera
1: had a lot of success with them Um, they were the Moultrie 180 so basically it's taking a panoramic view every time it's got three sensors and three cameras and you can set it where it's just an individual sensor and camera or you can set it where it's all three taking a panoramic view and I I would be Hesitant to say we missed any animals coming into that view of 180 degrees. However, what we did notice, that panoramic view, when you really want to try and blow something up and, and get a good look at it, as you zoom in, it starts to become really pixelated. So you get the animals. That's not a problem. But the detail's lacking a little bit because it pixelates so bad when you have to blow that panoramic view up to look at one specific spot. So it's kind of a catch-22. You're not missing any critters, but on the other hand, if you're really trying to hone in on the detail, um, it's not necessarily the best camera to have.
0: Makes sense. Uh, this upcoming archery season, are you, you yourself actually going to be, you know, taking the bow into the field and, 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 you know, trying to kill a buck with your bow, or what is your strategy this year?
1: I am, Jay. Um, I've actually got three blinds set up right now. Uh, I've put them up, I think, the 3rd of August, 4th of August, somewhere in there. Obviously, I'm not going to hunt all three of them, um, but there is a buck that I've been after for years and years and years, and uh, he's basically regressed to a big two-point, but he's back again this year, just kind of throwing it in my face, and, and I think I, <laughs> I, I would just be a miss if I didn't go after him, so uh, the other good thing is on that same lick, there's two other bucks that I I would have a very hard time passing if given the opportunity. Um, one of them I missed last year uh, and I'm kind of hoping for a little redemption on him. However, I do have a late rifle tag in my pocket um, so it, it might make things a little bit harder for me um, to decide to go ahead and pick up the bow and draw on one but I think if the right buck comes in, then uh, he's definitely going to get arrow thrown his direction. So I uh, I plan on going down probably Wednesday night um, and getting camp set up and running cameras for the next two days and then uh, being in the blind Friday morning. And I'm I'm kind of a firm believer that if you're setting a lick, uh, you need to give it a minimum of five full days for a target buck. And if he doesn't come in that five, you know that five day window, then he might not be coming in again. He might be done growing or moved on, and you've missed your opportunity. But I'll uh, I'll at least be there for five days.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your archery setup, if you will. Um, what bow you're shooting? Poundage, um, draw length, uh, arrows—the whole whole shebang. You bet.
1: You bet. I've actually. Over the last couple of years, I've, I've kind of gone away from chasing speed. Um, for, for a number of years, I was, thought I had to have the best and the newest and the, the coolest technology out there. and I've kind of went back to some of my roots of where I started with bow hunting when I was a kid, and I've gone back to PSE. Um, I'm just shooting a, an X-Force Drive LT. I uh, shoot 68-pound draw weight, um, a 30-inch draw, draw length, um, I'm shooting, right now I'm shooting Eastern Bloodline Arrows uh, I think they're 330s um, I really, really prefer a Muzzy uh, Trocar Hybrid um, however, when I'm sitting my blinds uh, I actually go to the Muzzy 3-blade Trocar, and just for the simple reason that when I'm hunting coos deer, I leave the mesh up on the blinds um, I've been picked off so many times with the mesh down, and even in a blacked-out blind and have myself blacked out, they're they're just so wary and the majority of the time that it's not worth the risk for me to miss an opportunity just because I wanted to shoot a, a hybrid broadhead versus a fixed blade. So I've actually gone back to the fixed-blade trocars. Um, when I'm setting the blinds, they fly right there with my field points. Um, you know, I can get them tuned right where I want them, I shoot a, a, a five-pin slider. Um, it's I think it's a black gold, Montana black gold. Um, but anyway, it has a 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and then anything beyond 60, I range and dial it up with the sight tape. Uh, I've had really good luck with that. I actually killed, um, you know, mule deer and elk uh, over 60 yards. Um, I don't, you know, necessarily condone long-range shooting, but if you practice at it, you're Good and you know confident and you yeah, the conditions are right, I think it's a really good way to uh increase your chance of success and then the other thing is I really enjoy shooting those longer ranges because then when you get into that twenty thirty forty yard it it just makes everything kind of hone right in, and you're just i mean you make those shots with ease and confident about it so that that's kind of what it, my setup is Jay and it's been working for the last four or five years, so I'm sticking with it um. I probably don't shoot near as much as I should throughout the year. I do shoot, you know, um, fairly consistently, but I like to I like to be able to pick up my bow and know pick it up and shoot it and have it exactly where it was when I put it down. And I kind of got away from tinkering with it all the time, and it's actually allowed me to spend more time scouting and, and cameras and everything else.
0: Good stuff, um, Phil. In closing. Uh, just wondering if you have any specific tips for guys that are out there going to be hitting the archery woods here in the next few days. Um, you know, just anything that you can think of that that would help someone uh, with with the hunt coming up.
1: I think the biggest thing
0: that you
1: know a lot of my buddies told me when I was first getting into it, and it rings true to this day, is is not to get frustrated. Don't let you know your target buck basically ruin your hunt i mean go out there and hunt hard give it everything you have but have fun doing it um you know i've i've sat in a blind eight days straight one year and never had my target buck come in and i I was just frustrated just ate me up and then after kind of it was all said and done i look back how many cool encounters i had with deer and pigs and bears and lions and turkeys and everything during that hunt so i guess my biggest thing that i could say is is enjoy it leave it all on the mountain give it everything you have but don't forget to smell the flowers along the way um you know i I try and remind myself that every time i go out uh the other thing is is you know slow down um i think a lot of guys get out there and in today's day and age where it's instant gratification we think we should go out there and have it happen right away a lot of times you gotta slow down and, and really dig it out, whether you're glassing, whether you're sitting a blind, whatever method you're using, just slow down. Um, I, I don't think I've ever heard man, I wish you know, that that wouldn't have happened so fast. I you know, just slow down and enjoy it and make it work and like I said, leave it all on the mountain and if it doesn't work, there's always next year.
0: That's that's great advice right there, man. Well I really appreciate you spending time with us here and you always have uh, great amounts of wisdom that you kick down and just appreciate that and uh, look forward to uh, seeing how it goes I'm sure we'll get to watch it on Instagram and encourage guys to look up Kramer Hunts with a C Um, Kramer Hunts on Instagram Bill usually does a good job of kind of uh, documenting what he's doing so uh, appreciate all the time you spend and uh, look forward to uh, seeing seeing how you do
1: well, I appreciate it, Jay. I really do. It's always always fun, and uh, hopefully, you know, I put, put something out there that might help somebody because I know over the years I've really picked up a lot of information and knowledge that's helped me off of your podcast with your guests, and I just, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to maybe give a little bit of that back.
0: Awesome, buddy. Well, sounds good. God bless. Take care, okay? Thanks, Jay. God bless.
1: All right.